I was talking to Dan, who prayed for the sun and the moon to be still in the Old Testament. You know, so he said that was Joshua. So I'm going to pray for the clock to be still, you know, so so I can finish my preach. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm not going to tell the same joke I said um, the morning, so I'll save by time. Two years back, uh, Catherine was working. That Catherine is my wife. Um, so she was working as a school teacher in a secondary school. God spoke to us um, uh, to leave that job and to more into self-employment. At the same time, thinking about God is kind of giving us giving a faith to buy a property. So humanly speaking, it's a foolish time to do that. You know, so you get a mortgage, then you come out. And when she came out. Um, the supervisor, the manager, or the lead team uh, lady gave the worst reference you can ever have. You know, so with that one, you, you won't get a job. You know, so I wish I read this passage at that time a bit more well. We could have handled that situation in a godly way. You know, so we were thinking, this is outrage, you know. She worked hard, and uh, she was so committed. And uh, then, yeah, then she went for another place for a kind of a uh, self-employed kind of interview for teaching. At the interview time, you know, so we were praying that morning, God, if somebody reads that one, she's not going to get a job, ever, you know. <laughs> That's a dead-end kind of things. Interview, very formal kind of setting. There was a talk conversation. At the end, um, she, the, the person employ, uh, interviewed her, asked, uh, she asked, uh, uh, what about the reference? Uh, no, I don't need any reference. Because sometimes people come with a good reference, they're rubbish. Sometimes uh, they come with a uh, bad reference, they're brilliant. You are employed. It's okay. You can do the job. One Timothy chapter six, verse one onwards. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may be may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their master are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. This is a small portion talking about slaves and masters. I need to use some other scripture portion to, uh, to make it uh, uh, what is actually Paul is trying to communicate uh, this portion. Centuries after centuries, even now, people struggle to understand the word slavery in the Bible. Why Paul didn't condemn slavery or Jesus never stopped or led a riot or kind of things against the slave system um, uh, that was so bad at that time. Sometimes we can be distracted by our cultural context where we are reading this passage from. But Paul's main intention was through this letter, the hearers and the proclaimers being transformed by the amazing work of gospel. 
So we can approach this passage in two different ways. One is theologically, and the other one is pragmatically. I'll try to finish it in time, both of them. This passage is not a random one, you know. This is the continuation of the, um, the passage uh, Dan been preaching, uh, how Paul was communicating to the church um, that involves or includes elders, deacons, overseas, widows, slaves, and masters. So as he was encouraging the church, listen to the gospel. Be transformed by the gospel. You are not a random bunch of guys. You are church demonstrating God's glory. So Paul was trying to remind the power of gospel at work in their life. So among them, slaves and masters were included. Why? At that time, slaves was, uh, slavery was a very, uh, uh, like a very much a common practice in first century. Scholars estimate that there were as many as 60 million slaves in Roman Empire. As the empire, as they are conquering uh, a country, they will take everyone in that country as a slave. So some of the cities comes with half the 50 percentage, they were slaves. And uh, uh, this is very different from uh, prior to American Civil War. So there were doctors, teachers, engineers, writers, secretaries, and uh, they covered lots of jobs. And there was no racial discrimination among the slaves. So they were not chosen uh, uh, to uh, choose on the basis of uh, color or background kind of things. You know, if you are under Rome, conquered, you are a slave. You're not allowed to marry. If you have uh, uh, some uh, children, that is, that is again part of the master's uh, property. So that is, the, uh, that is the context. If you just look through the American Civil War or modern slavery or sex trafficking kind of things, you know, we can completely miss what um, Paul was trying to communicate. So 30 to 40 percentage or 50 percent of the, uh, um, the, the country was uh, filled with the sla slaves. Good stories, bad stories also involved, you know, brutally treated, killed, and uh, uh, lots of things are going wrong. So there were the, if you look at the history, there are things went well and didn't go well. That is the context. When Paul was talking to the church, we need to assume there was a good number of slaves in the church, and there were some masters also there. So if you read the whole New Testament, more instructions to slaves than to, uh, to masters, you know. So that's quite interesting because politically it's a very sensitive subject because there is a world out there, there's a rioting tendency to rebel and things can go wrong. So here, Paul is trying to communicate the power of gospel and the transforming work of God in their heart how to respond to this evil in a completely different way. Paul was not in a position to abolish the slavery at that time. Why? A couple of reasons are there. Because of the population majority, they were filled with the, uh, uh, with the slaves. Second thing, um, church was at its infant stage, you know. 
The gospel has just been preached to new Christians, and they're gathering as a small gathering, and they are just growing. If anything goes wrong, if the church takes things on their hand, according to the way the world does things, you know, that will crush the church instantly. So he was trying to communicate, guys, don't respond in a fleshy way, or the way the world responds. We are responding in a completely different way. That's the transforming work of gospel in your heart. So that's one reason. Third reason, whenever things went wrong, Rome and Nero blamed the church. They burned, you know, they were killed because if there is a fire, who did it? Church did it. Christians did it. There is something going wrong bad. Who did it? Church, you know. So he used every means to crush the church. And so Paul was very sensitive uh, how to approach this one. This was one of the reasons, you know, he was not in a position uh, to abolish the slavery in a different way. As we are going through the scripture, we will come across slaves, bond servants, masters. In our cultural context, we might need to change a little bit employees and employers. I'm not saying employees are coming to, uh, equivalent to slaves or masters are uh, equivalent to employee, uh, employers and employees. You know, so don't try to mix mix up. At the same time, here with that heart, you know, so uh, in a in a cultural context and historical context also. Paul doesn't say, or even New Testament doesn't say, hey slaves, hey new Christians, now you're a Christian, you are free from the obligation to your masters. Do whatever you want. You're free in Christ. He didn't say that one. He didn't say that, masters, hey, come on, you know that slavery is a really bad thing. Now you're a master and you are a Christian now, you should free all your slaves. We can't see any single scripture, Paul or even Jesus, or even other apostles, um, uh, you know, who wrote at that time, they didn't give an instruction. But he wrote something profound in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. He's talking about the church or the congregation. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. When he was talking to the church, he was not picking slaves and masters. He includes males and females and uh, uh, Gentiles and Jews. And there is a bunch of people, you know, so could be rich and poor. Lots of things are there. All he was trying to communicate to the, to, to the church, what does it really mean by saved by grace? What's the nature? He doesn't mean that when you are saved, your cultural, ethical, sexual identity will be vanished and you will become some sort of new species in Christ. I hope that's not the case. We are a new creation with the same identity the way God created us, with ethical, socio-economic, political aspect of our everyday life. Please understand, regeneration won't remove the slave-master distinction or the employer-employee distinction. It's not going to change. For example, if you owe money to a bank before becoming a Christian, after becoming a Christian, you can't just uh, turn to their bank and say, you know, I'm a new creation. 
No, they won't leave you, you know. They will probably lock you in, you know. So, so, uh, and again, you know, so if you're turning to the work and say, oh, I'm free in Christ, so that's why I'm 10 minutes late, you know. No, it's not going to work, you know. So if you have a contract, that's not going to change. But the gospel is going to transform you inside out. And the way you approach, the way you deal things will be dramatically changed because of the power of gospel that works in our heart. That is why Paul was keep emphasizing to all these slaves and masters, look to Jesus, and that there is a transforming work that is happening in your heart. The primary call of the church is to proclaim the gospel, the good news. Church calling is not to change the culture, but to share the only thing that can change the human heart, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the primary call. C.S. Lewis brilliantly put it this way. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. This is the work of the gospel. When you're becoming a Christian, you will see everything through the lens of gospel, the way God wants to see things, the way you approach and we, you, you communicate, everything will be transformed through the gospel. And 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 says, what is church? The church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 says, church, the manifold wisdom of God. So church is not a collection of bunch of people. They love music. They like to have some fun time and have eat together or have some cake together, coffee together and have some, his life is quite boring. Let's come together and have some nice time. No, Bible says we are the manifold wisdom of God because the world out there in a chaos, in a mess, they are dealing with the chaos and the mess in a very different way, politically, riot, argument, bitterness, unforgiveness, backbiting. Here, God is asking us to come together to be the pillar and the foundation of the truth so through us the world will know how to fix the issue not in a different way through the transformation of the heart that only works through the power of the gospel so that's the audience they are the audience Paul was addressing we all are aware under one category we were slave to sin. Otherwise, we won't be here this morning. My son helped me to, to put something together. So he put like this, you know. So we were under the yoke of slavery. One side is a sin, the other one is, other side is law. Everyone were under the slavery of sin. Whether you're a master, now you're a Christian. Whether you're a slave, now you're a Christian you were under the yoke of slavery. That's your position. That's the place you are coming from. Romans 6, 14. For sin shall no longer be your master. So whether you're a master or slave, you had a master or you have a master, that is sin is your master. 
Because now you are not under the law, but under grace. So when Paul was communicating to the slaves and masters, hey guys, whether you're slave or master, remember you were under the slavery of sin. There's no freedom from that. But Christ reconciled us back to God. The root cause of everything, the slavery of sin that crush, control, lead us to destruction through the power of the law. Galatians 4.3 When we were enraged, we were in slavery under the elementary spiritual forces of the world. But the set time had fully come. Listen very carefully next verses. All the verses, especially this one. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Chris was uh, sharing about the white robe. Unfortunately, my robe is red, sorry. So Jesus died under the yoke of law and he took that punishment. That's why now we have a New York. Dan preached last Sunday. That is light. It's not heavy. That gives you rest. Why is light this yoke? Because he took the burden. Why I can walk in the freedom? Because he is with me. I'm not just walking independently. No, he clothed me with his righteousness. There's two parts there. That's me, righteous. The other part, Christ's work. Hand in hand, together, under the light yoke, so now I can walk in the freedom. Whether you are a slave, you're wearing it now because of Christ. Whether you are a master, you're wearing it under God's grace. So when you're part of the church, Paul is reminding his slaves, Remember this, you were a slave to sin, now you are free in Christ. The sting of, uh, the sting of, death, is, uh, the, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. That's in 1 Corinthians 15, 56. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus. He set us free from that bondage. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Whether you are a slave or master, stand firm under the freedom God has given you. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's the place starting place. We can easily be distracted by social and political, economical issues. Sometimes people think, or politicians think, if we fix that issue, things will be fine. If we fix that issue, things will be fine. We never fixed it. Never ever is going to fix it. What can fi fix it? The transforming work of the gospel in the heart of the people 
will change things, everything. The gospel is revolutionary. The gospel does what the world endeavored to do and can't do. Create unity and love in their heart. The master and the slave sit by side, breaking bread together. No matter what kind of socioeconomic, ethnic background they are coming from, the only place they live in harmony and demonstrate God's goodness, that is the church. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. I remember a couple of years, oh no, last year, I was in Turkey with the Hase family in a secret Islamic conference, leaders' conference. Oh, believe me, that was not ISIS one. It's a Christian one, okay? Okay. So I was there. I saw Iraqis and Iranis, Libyans, and different from different ethnic backgrounds. If you open the news, they are fighting and killing one another. Here, transformed by the power of the gospel, coming together, worshiping the King of Kings, hugging together, praying together, and breaking bread together. How did that happen? Politicians are trying to fix the issue. They're never going to fix it, but the work of the Holy Spirit in their heart enabled them to love together and live together and forgive together and to demonstrate God's love through their life. Hanti uh, I'm quite struggled with the second name. He got uh, global humility. Last year, a team of people from Turkey went to Armenia, inspired by the work of the Holy Spirit, to say sorry for the brutal killings done by Turkish people to Armenians. How did that happen? Because of the transforming work of gospel in their life. I can give you hundreds of examples like that. Or if you search, you know, what uh, uh, you know, uh, the gospel has brought to people. So that means gospel works in politics, gospel works in economics, marriage, singleness, childhood, adulthood, master, slavery, rich, poor, upper class, middle class, lower class, no class. It works. It's not about the class. It's not about where you're coming from. It's not about how wealthy you are, whether you own a house or not. This is the work of the Holy Spirit and changing you inside out. You're no longer a slave. You are a child of God. You're walking from the freedom. The existence of church to proclaim the good news, not to lead or advocate a political issue. It's very, very clear. For example, Brexit, same-sex marriage, abortion, corruption, racism, fascism, terrorism, homophobia, heterophobia, Islamophobia, rough sleeping, human trafficking, sexual slavery, corruption, global warming, property, uh, mental health, russophobia, anti-Semitism, Me Too campaign. Where do you start? When you push one button, ten will come up. It's better to start by the transforming work of God in our lives. You are the example of that. We are the example of God, the pillar of truth, the foundation of truth, and the manifold wisdom of God. When you are going there, things change. The way we approach our employer, the way we interact with our colleagues, the way we handle things with the forgiveness and love, when we are not joining with the backbiting team, when we avoid gossiping, when we pray on our knees, God bless my employee. You know, that is the power of gospel. 
You might be isolated. You might be mocked. Hey, he's the Christian coming. But you will be rewarded. His kingdom will be declared. And God's name will be glorified. And people will say, this is Jesus' stuff. We all face, as a students, sometimes some of your supervisors, supervisors may not be kind to you. you know. But how do we respond to that kind of situation? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 to 23. Slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters, not only to whom those who are good and considerate, but also who are brutal to you or not nice to you. Let me find that one. They are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it if your credit, if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are, you were called. Because, it's very important, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Good and gentle masters, good and gentle employees or employers, unreasonable employees and employers. Among them, some of them can be Christians. So in Timothy chapter 6, verse is including two different categories. Could be you might be dealing with an un unbelieving master or it could be a believing master. So what is our motive? Now, how how are we going to respond to our everyday responsibility as a student or worker or whatever you are? Worthy of all honor. Honor is an alien word to Western culture. We more into Western, uh, or we will go to respect kind of things, you know. Honor means, I was reading a, a book called Global Gospel, you know. It's a completely different things, you know. In publicly, in secretly, Whatever you do, you demonstrate physically and emotionally the respect. It's not just having a good heart. I'm not joining with that gossip. I'm not joining that team. I'll pray to God. No, publicly, sometimes you stand for your boss, even though some of the things they are doing may not be acceptable by you. You stand, yeah. You think they are weak. They are not supermen. They are fragile. But rather than joining the team and gossiping against them, I want to honor what they are doing. Through that way, you're honoring God because all authority is from God. God placed them, whether it's an emperor or ruler. That's another passage. I'm not going there. Second thing, the name of the God, the, the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. You know, what you are learning in the church will be demonstrated in the workplace. People will see the Jesus stuff in your workplace. And good conscience towards God. And, and we are called for this purpose. So that is the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. My pages are all over the place. When I printed it, this came in the wrong way. 
If you want to read a psalm, Psalm 37, brilliant. Go home, have a cup of coffee if you drink coffee. Read Psalm 27. You can see when things are in chaos, how he was responding to, um, uh, to the chaos. <clears throat> the most willing servant is provided by those who are the most focused on pleasing God. You know, the most willing service is provided by those who are most focused on Jesus. So that Jesus stuff will transform you the way you are responding. Who is our example? Jesus is our example. He committed no sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. That is a, uh, uh, that's in Peter, you know, it's a continuation of the portion I just read. When they hurled their insult at him, he did not retaliate. When he, was, when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That's Jesus. He committed no sin. Pilate said, what evil has he done? Judah said, I betrayed the innocent blood. Centurion said, truly this man was the son of God. The angel said, the holy child shall be called the son of God. The apostles said, in him there is no sin. God the Father said, this is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. Jesus told himself, which of you convicts me of sin? This Jesus, mocked by people saying he was possessed by a demon. He was a Samaritan, glutton, drunkard, blasphemer. Satan was working through him. Perversion of the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the he, he was a deceiver of the people. Spitting, slapping, beating, scorning, insult, mockery, carrying the cross, crown of thrones, and spikes, and everything was against him. How did he respond? Kept interesting in the present tense, you know, which denotes ongoing, continued activity happening in the, uh, the life of Jesus. He trusted himself to him who judged righteously. Doesn't mean that we need to agree with the, everything the boss or the employer or employer saying. There are times immoral things will happen. You won't join with that one. At the time of Moses, killing babies. They didn't kill Moses. Shatruk Meshach, Bedanago, you know, worshiping the king. They didn't do that one. They stood for the truth. In Acts 4, no more Jesus stuff. You are not allowed to share anymore. They didn't stop. They came together and prayed, Sovereign Lord. There are many times, you know, you don't need to just obey your master, but the heart and the attitude towards the leaders will be transformed by the power of the gospel. All I'm saying, you don't respond like the world respond. It's completely different. So that God will be glorified. Christ will be exalted. In the history, lots of examples are there. One is William Wilberforce. Wilberforce was not a political pragmatist. He was a radically God-centered Christian who was a politician. That was the center of his belief. And his true affections for God based on the peculiar doctrine of Christianity were the root of his endurance in the cause of justice. Can you see that? God-centered Christian who was a politician 
God-centered Christian, they are social workers. God-centered Christian, they are brain surgeons. God-centered Christians, they are civil servants. God-centered Christians, they are plumbers. They are cleaners. They're all over the place. What will happen? People will know God is behind that. He will get the glory. So he was communicating to the church. Hey, church, it's filled with the old type of group. Whether you're a master or slave, the way you respond to ungodly master, ungodly master will be driven by the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Let me conclude. Whether masters or are good or evil, whether they treat us right or wrong, when they treat us wrongly, we are to bear up under sorrows or lash out, but to patiently endure it. This doesn't mean we cannot appeal to our supervisors about this unjust treatment, but we must never take it upon ourselves to get revenge. We must never lose our Christian testimony because of our temper or using angry words. When we are reviled, we must not revile in return. When we suffer, we must not utter threats or rebellion or riot or gossip or conspiracy or eye service or bitterness or hypocrisy or backstabbing or division. Instead, we must seek not to deceive with our mouth or sin with our lives. We must always keep Jesus' example before us. Who was Jesus? The perfect, the perfect of perfect everything. How did he respond? All of us at one time or another have had mean or cruel bosses who have been mistreated us. But Jesus entrusted himself to him who just, just, justly. I was about to stand. Then I felt God is saying, this morning, God wants to bring healing into many of you. Hurt by bosses or the shame or the guilt, guilt in you, thinking, oh, I responded really badly as a Christian. Goodness me. In both cases, God can bring healing because His grace is sufficient. He is for us. He is clothing us with His righteousness. That is the place we are starting from. That's the freedom we are enjoying. His yoke is light and rest is here and He is with us. And he wants to set us free from any kind of guilt or shame or condemnation or any kind of hurt you had from your boss or from teachers or anywhere God can bring that healing into your life. Let's pray.